Shall we talk a little, uh, a little, we're, we're talking about Core 4, Part 3, The Searchers here, right? Either, like, I mean, I guess we could do The Searchers or The Magnificent Seven, either one. You know what, I kind of want to go back, and I haven't seen The Magnificent Seven for about 10 years, so I kind of want to go back again and, and take a look at that before we do one. But, so if you don't mind, let's do The Searchers, okay. which, which I know is... It's okay. a. It's kind of good that we don't end on the searches. Part four on the searches. That we do part three on the searches. I feel because, um, you know, in keeping with with Finley number one, and and this is really your territory to talk about, but but I know about it. This this um, uh, um, presentation. What do you call it? The habit. The tradition. The tradition that he. Did, sometimes traditions had to have like a name, in order to justify them. I mean, I'm thinking about the whole. You know your your assertion really that this should really be the core three, but the core three doesn't sound right, and it's hard to hold the tradition together with, with something called the core three. So somehow this becomes the core four, you know, and it's um, bullet, um, guns of Navarone, uh, magnificent seven. If we'll do that. Tom's on with Yeah, all the things that he did, and so here we have this this sort of like fourth film, which only kind of technically comes in to the habit of of Finley number one. And then you, and then me, um, by extension, I guess, um, because it fits into like, it completes a foursome somehow. But I mean, not to, not to. I don't want to uh, um, uh, disparage the movie in, in, in any way. I think it's a great movie. I'm just talking about like how does it how does it fit into this uh, this canon or pantheon of of Finley Number One's education, you know, cinematic education of the of the youngsters, and mm-hmm. the answer is arbitrarily. Yeah, it's a little bit arbitrary, but and, and then kind of a little bit not, because are we recording them? Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Okay, because um, its inclusion in the core four is really because Chuck, because of Chuck, my brother. Yeah. Uh, it's in this one. This movie was kind of interesting because, like, it was one of those movies that was sort of legendary for a long time in my life yeah. because Chuck had seen it when he was much younger and he loved the movie. It was like one of his favorite movies. Yeah. And then it was just hard as shit to capture it on TV for a long time. It, it was a T eventually dad nailed it off of TVS, but for the longest time, it's one of those movies I'd heard about, but never seen, you know, God bless um, WTBS. Psycho was like that for a long time for me too. You know, that, it, that it, it, it was at WTBS as well. Ted Turner's, uh, Ted Turner's yeah. the one who, who brought, a lot of these classic movies to national sort of cable prominence, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. And, and for a lot of us, like, Turner was kind of problematic just because he was all about the colorization for oh, a while. Oh, yeah. And, and, I kind of, and as a purist, I fucking hated that. Of but course. he also just put a lot of stuff sort of back on the map that wasn't, it was just was very hard to find. You wouldn't find it on regular television. So, you know, God bless him, I guess, for that. I completely forgot about how awful colorization was. It, it, I mean, the purist in me hates the idea of it. So even if they yeah. have they got have it right now, I've seen some examples, for instance, of them uh, of people colorizing still photographs of people from World War II, and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool actually because it it, it, it gives them a humanity. But yeah. I don't like the idea generally. And then back then, in like the early '80s, the colorization was horrendous. I mean, it was really bad. It wasn't very good. It really, it was. You know, it was the it was catering to a, the part of the American palate that I don't give a shit about. Frankly, it's like it's like adding sugar to a bunch of things to make you know, to make it more palatable uh, to people with kind of with, with kind of undeveloped taste, I guess. 
It's interesting though, like Ted Turner, he's a he's like um the a, a case to be made for um the benevolent you know wealthy dictator. You know, he had so much money that he could just do what what pleased him. And one of the things that pleased him, luckily, was to have a station that that would broadcast all these classic films that finally could make their way into your dad's you know collection. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Just a, an absolute, just a ton of his movies yeah. came off the Turner, uh, Turner Broadcasting System for sure. Yeah. yeah. So God bless him for that. And also for, you know, reminding us that Jane Fonda was still pretty bangable into the 80s. Uh, how about now? Yeah, probably. <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Into her 80s. He's got that, like, Jane Fonda just has that, uh, has that, that, that Fonda, like, what do you call it, the DNA that, you know, is, is sexy. Oh, I don't know. Well, it could be dead and probably pretty hot. It missed Peter Fonda somehow in my book, but, but I know what you mean in terms of her dad. There's a lot of DNA there. Peter Fonda, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I don't know. I'll just skip the. I'll tell you off air the rumor about a, a certain videotape between her and and uh, and Ted Turner. It's not for family listening, but anyway, um, <laughs> like the rest of this nonsense. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I thought I'd get some trivia out of the way if you don't mind regarding. Um, the searchers. I thought there was some kind of a few interesting things that come up um, for the searchers. Um, I, I, before you go into it, please. I just want to say I think that's actually one of the cool things about the searchers. People who are really into the searchers, yeah. really kind of the searchers. Yeah. It has that quality, almost not quite light, not as big, not as broad as Casablanca. Mm-hmm. There are some there are some movies where in the trivia of the making of the movie is is almost as interesting as the movie in some cases. This is yeah, little, maybe that's up. interesting. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I want to get into some big picture questions, but I thought I'd get some of this trivia out of the way first. Yeah. Um, apparently, the Buddy Holly song "That'll Be the Day." When you make me cry, that'll be the. It's based on his great admiration. He he went to see the Searchers over and over again, and of course, John Wayne's character Ethan, his refrain in the movie is "That'll be the day." <laughs> and so, oh, I, shut up, really? Yeah, no, I, there's even a scene where he talks about dying, and someone says, "Yeah, I'm gonna kill you, or you're gonna die someday." And Wayne goes, "That'll be the day," and it's this whole Buddy Holly. Uh, <laughs> I remember Buddy's Buddy Holly's famous song "Peggy Sue," the Peggy Sue from the movie. I get it, yeah. From That's the, the, the Coppola movie, Peggy Sue Got Married. Nice. All right. Um, John Ford. <laughs> to derail. Uh-huh. So, no problem. I'll, I'll be doing plenty of that during this episode. Uh, John Ford got a scorpion bite um, and had to take a week off during this thing, which would have put it behind schedule. And then he, he kept the, being the sort of master that he is, he kept it back in schedule. And then John Wayne found an extra crying one day. Because she had to be on set and miss her daughter's wedding, so John Wayne shut the the production down for an extra four days to fly her out to the wedding. So it was like one way or another, John Ford was getting uh, was getting, um, you know, whatever the worst end of the deal. And then Ward Bond, this is a really cool story. Well, it's a Me Too story. There was um, uh, they filmed out on location, and most of the you know the underling cast had to stay in like what tents or something like that. But there was a local like. Norman Batesy style motel nearby, mm-hmm. and Ward Bond um, would nightly parade around in the nude in front of his open window, hoping mm-hmm. to attract Vera Vera Miles. Oh, geez. Okay, all right. I thought well, that was I mean, kind of cool. If you're gonna do that, that's not you know laying the bait out there. That gets that's not a bad idea. Let's go for Vera Miles. Sure, absolutely. Frankly, yeah. Natalie would have been much more my speed, but you know that's not open-minded as fuck about that one. Yeah, Although, which is really funny is the thing you're talking about with uh, John Wayne fucking up uh, 
Ford schedule. I, I like the fact that John Ford and John Wayne are sort of synonymous yep. in a lot of ways, but uh, Ford didn't. Ford had a lot of contempt for John Wayne. You're kidding me. No, no, no. He's very famous for that. He oh. treated him like shit. He was very rude to him. He, a lot of it had to do with uh, participation in World War II. Ford, as you know, went off to war mm-hmm. in the movies. And yeah. John Wayne stayed at home and made really bad World War II movies. I'm sorry, Sands of Iwo Jima is very insulting to people who read Iwo Jima. Apparently. Oh, yeah. Well, the one, uh, that, the one that's even more insulting because it's in the title is Back to Baton, which you and I did for the Guilty Pleasures episode. I think that was episode right. 38. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of John Wayne that's in my guilty pleasure area. Yeah, I gotta be honest. this is not one. Well, I always assume that they they got along because, first of all, they're both kind of known as assholes for the most part. Despite, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I half imagine Wayne did that thing, shutting down production and sending that extra off to her daughter's wedding, just to sort of counter a lot of the the rumors about him, how awful he was as a human being, and he seems like he's a pretty awful human being, and even. Later on, when he that thing in the '60s in Playboy, that was oh, on yeah. Earth recently, and it's like it's one of the few times where there's a bit of a, a witch hunt for the dead, where I'm like, yeah, I kind of see where people are coming from on this one. He seems to be a, a, a pretty, um, you know, unmitigated dick. Um, the last, this isn't really trivia. I mean, it sort of is, but I think it's a good way to to start us off. Um, that that um, Ford saw, um, I'm sorry, that David Lean, I guess it would be six years later. Cited this as his major sort of cinematic inspiration for Lawrence of Arabia. Really? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I never had that thought before, and I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. But you can totally see it. Like, I mean, but that's just true of Ford in general. Like his love of sort of like panning shots in nature, particularly in Monument Valley. There. Yeah. 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 You could totally see that. that's interesting. So Ford is in the DNA of a lot of movies because that because leans in the DNA of a lot of. Well, yeah, no question, but sometimes I think of Ford as as uh, um, a word that you often use, and I'm going to use it this time. Is I think of him as as competent, but like so competent and so prolific that he's a he's noteworthy for it. I never think of him as as being um, a, a director who's interested in art, except for this movie. This movie to me is like right. extremely yeah. cinematic and 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 very. Um, yeah, lean-like. Yeah, okay, I can see that. You know, I, I mean, I would say the same, I would say similarly of Stagecoach, but frankly, I mean, I think this, correct me if if I'm stepping out of line here, mm-hmm. and God knows you will, I will. but uh, I think this is the most John Ford movie. That's, I, I'm... This has, got, yeah. this has got the whole package of John Ford. Yeah, and part of it is because of the, of, of, like the way you can analyze it, you can analyze it and come up with an answer and it doesn't hurt that it also is, is the movie that's kind of like the most well-known in the pop cultural uh, consciousness of movies in terms of John Ford stuff. It's sort of like, is Jaws Spielberg's, you know, ultimate movie in a way? Yes, because of its content, but also just in a way because it's Jaws. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I can see that, but I think this has all the elements that John Ford sort of mm-hmm. always brought to his movies, but like more so than most of the other movies. For instance, uh, I mean, it's if you if I were to describe it to you, it would definitely seem like a drama, but there are like moments of very John Ford comedy stuck in here too. Yeah, it's got, to, some, to, to it's got me, some funny John Ford funny kind of. 
I, yeah, that's that's an important notation, John Ford funny, because it, it's a four-star movie, four out of four stars for me, but the moments where I, I kind of want to duck out of the four-star <laughs> review are the, the attempts at humor in this movie. A little embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, but it does start, I mean, like, like I, I noticed, I, I counted so many times where there were, like, door frames and cave openings that were like, wow, this is almost like a film student, like... You know, or early Sergio Leone or something, you know, somebody making this like really dramatic um, camera reference, you know, and like right. panning in and out of things in this like uncharacteristically Western way. In fact, to me, it feels like the first Western that is like an art Western. Like, you know, later on, we had everything from like the Wild Bunch to like the Long Riders, etc. Sorry about that. Um, that was my, my computer. The, but, um, this is the first one that, that seems to qualify. Hondo, uh, three years earlier, almost does. Um, there's a movie you and I are going to talk about with our with a special guest before long um, that I just saw again this morning, um, Red River. I don't want to talk about it too much, but it sort of does. But this one is just like, you really understand why uh, Cinemascope was, was developed when you watch a movie yeah. like this from the 50s. Right, it, it it would be like it would almost be like the, the, it's it's uh, like James Cameron movies are today. Like he creates a whole new technology yeah. in order to achieve an effect inside of his movies. This was this was like Cinemascope. Yeah, it was kind of like God. What what would this movie be without it? Frankly, yeah, yeah. And that only came around. Yeah, you know, much lesser movie. And that, don't get me wrong, I love Hondo. One of my, it's a it's an all time favorite movie. But yeah, it's not this. But you're absolutely right. This has the quality of art going. You know, yeah, it does. It definitely does. And, 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 and you're talking about framing. I mean, do we have to talk about that closing scene? That's maybe one of the most one of the most iconic endings in all of but that. All of yeah, but I'm saying this. I mean, yeah, it's the one that probably most people remember. But that that door frame and sort of that panning in past a door frame and going out to the Wild West and, the, and all the reds and the yellows that have mm -hmm. almost like a Van Gogh painting color to them, yeah. that yeah. happens uh, two other times with the door frame. It's just that it, it happens earlier when a lot of other stuff is going on, so it doesn't feel like you're you're sticking the landing. And there's a couple right. a couple of instances where it happens from the inside of a cave, and it's like God damn, I, I don't think I've ever seen him do this before, and it, it, it must have been um I don't know a particularly passionate project for for both of them I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a story. I mean, we could just go over the story really quickly, but um, sure. you know, um, John Thank Wayne. You know. Go ahead. Yeah, guy comes, yeah, John, oh, do you want to do it? Go ahead. Well, I can start. Why don't we just baton it? John Wayne, um, there's a, <coughs> a, a family living out in the middle of nowhere in Texas, this beautiful, you know, uh, desert, high desert area, or just desert area. And John Wayne comes home from after the war. It's been a, a little while after the war. He was a Confederate soldier. Uh, I want to talk about that in a minute because I have some questions about that. Um, but he comes back and um, it, it, he has this relationship with Jeffrey Hunter, um, who's part of the family, but only sort of in quotation marks. He's been taken up by the family. Um, and so, so Wayne comes back and he has this contentious relationship when he comes back to the family with Jeffrey Hunter because Jeffrey Hunter is one-eighth um, Cherokee. Right. He says, which, by the way, I mean, before I, I, I'll go back to the plot in a second here, but I don't fully understand what's happening in that aspect of the movie, because John Wayne has a particular problem with the Comanche tribe. Mm -hmm. um, if you read like Empire of the Summer Moon, which is sort of a popular um, 
historical, like uh, widely distributed historical book these days, um, it, it reaffirms a lot of the really, really awful tactics of the Comanche Indians, who themselves were victims, no question about it, but they doled it. They had a, a, a terrifying you know, strategy yeah. for winning. So it's like, you can almost even historically see, okay, he has a problem with these people who've been in this area. But, but it's almost like the film's trying to then, I don't know what the film's doing with, 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 the, uh, with the stuff here, because it, it kind of acknowledges that there's been this sort of terrible thing done to the native people and acknowledges that some of the native triads are terrible. And that's fine. I mean, that's actually a complicated view. I like that. But in this moment, I'm like, well, wait, it, it, is the film just making him anti-Indian in general? Which I guess it is, but it never really clarifies why he's more than anti-Comanche, as right. he says. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, well, put it, I mean, when, when did this guy, when did this come out? Like 1950, what? 56. Okay, 56, thoughts. So. Okay, so coming out in 1956, I guess we would have been closer. I mean, that was a time when children just played cowboys and Indians. Yeah. That kind of thing was sort of, that was just like, that was kind of a given in white society for sure. Um, I don't know if he, I don't know how much forward like how much study he did on the actual dynamics of like the relationship between the white settlers and the Comanche nation yeah. in Texas or the Apache for God's sakes. I mean, at yeah. least as bad. Um, but, but no, you, and what you said is absolutely right. Like the, the, the way they behave towards each other if, uh, is, is, was atrocious. I mean, just yeah. atrocity upon atrocity in both directions. I know, but the, um, po the point is... I can, and more better technology in general. In 2022, I know it's very easy for us to say, like, well, we have to make a distinction. They're, not every tribe was like... I mean, there were 500 tribes in, in what yeah. we call North right. America. Now. And they all had their own way of going to war, uh, Absolutely. Too. So, But I don't want to just... I'm not just trying to impose a 2022 sort of um, nuanced vision back. Because you, no, be right, no. you would be right about that, except that in the film itself... There's so much knowledge given over about this particular tribe that it indicates that someone would actually know the difference between tribes. But anyway, I'm sort of quibbling there. Right? No, no, but because I think that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe they did or maybe they didn't. I'm not altogether sure. But there was definitely something about the Comanche tribe in particular, and the Apaches for that matter, yeah. uh, that really lent themselves well to um, the male gaze, the, uh, the white person gaze, for lack of a better word. I mean, yeah. They were badass. There was yeah. it was an un, it was un, there was an unmistakable amount of respect yeah. that, that both that those tribes, Comanche in particular, were definitely owed because yeah. of because yeah they 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 kicked ass. They were the Finleys of the time. I agree. So so the story moves on, and I um uh the, the there's but there's a sort of a, a trick basically a, a cattle raid. And, and, and so um, um, Ethan, this is uh, uh, John Wayne's character, and, and Jeffrey Hunter, the, the one-eighth, or who, who um, Wayne calls a half-breed, and Ward Bond as a sort of like half-preacher, half-sheriff, and, and all these characters go off to, to, to get the cattle or, or wreak vengeance or whatever it is on these, these cattle thieves, um, and then it becomes clear to them that they've been drawn out, and it's a murder raid. And, yeah. and so that, the house that, that Wayne had come back to just a few days earlier is now completely wiped out, burned to the ground, except for possibly two of the young girls. And, and you know what's going to happen to them. But even right. that's... Well, okay, anyway, so, so um, the, the younger um, girl is played by Natalie Wood's younger sister, which is why she looks so much like her. You're right. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. that's cool. Okay. I forgot about that. I didn't know that. that. But anyway, so, so, so 
the, now the movie becomes about like going after to find the two young girls to to you know ha- for Wayne to have his vengeance and then also to sort of ask this bigger question like how long are you willing to go beyond the the first mission you had if the first mission was to find the people and that becomes right. less and less likely is it worth a, a lifetime of trouble to to have your vengeance and in some ways it's like okay you know Django Unchained is sort of taken off from this as well right this idea that are or half the, the Quentin Tarantino movies and <laughs> because that's what this is. This is a this is a revenge story, and Quentin Tarantino lives in the revenge. Area. That's what I'm like, saying. A lot of people compare this movie, and I think it's a good comparison. It's that that in some ways Star Wars is like a remake of this movie, and, and to some degree it is because like you know a princess is taken from a dark you know warlord, you know Darth Vader, instead of in this case in this movie it's Scar, the Indian Scar, played by a, a blue-eyed German actor, by the way. But we'll just put that to the side. <laughs> Um, he does a pretty good job other than his blue eyes, I guess. But but what yeah. is different from Star Wars is Star Wars is really about like good and evil and then and then correcting something and, and then getting it back. Whereas this one's about like really exploring who becomes evil here. Do you be, do you yourself become evil when you succumb to the, the temptation of vengeance the way that that Wayne wants to? Well, I, my favorite, so I think, uh, for me, one of the most powerful moments in the movie, and one of the best things of, like, with that vengeance going off the rails, yeah. is when he starts shooting buffalo. Like, there's yeah. this one scene. Yeah. In the winter, the, he just starts shooting buffalo. And it's all about yeah. killing the buffalo so there'll be hungry uh, Native American you know, yeah. Indians running around. And it, that's all it's about. That's we'll take it. one and, for you know, ourselves. The, and we'll the take most the... fundamental burned earth fucking way yeah. to, get the, to get back at the, at the, at the Indians. Yeah. That he was going to take that. Like, that's... That, what a fucking... I think that's a tremendous moment. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great, too. By the way, side note, I, I, I don't want to get through this episode without mentioning that um, this is sort of based on the um, taking of the white woman, Cynthia Parker, in the memoir she wrote later on after she was returned to white civilization, having been taken by the Comanche tribe. Comanche tribe. And um, Cynthia Parker is a not-too-distant relative of my, my wife, so... I don't know nice. if that, that means I get to say things I normally wouldn't on this podcast, but yeah, command. I keep saying command, for instance. When you open up a casino, though, Joe, we got to. <laughs> um, Come on, out of the slots. Yeah, so I mean, um, uh, I mean, one thing is interesting to me is when they go out for that raid. I'm sorry, when they go out to to, to follow what they originally think are the cattle thieves. Right. It's Jeffrey Hunter, maybe tapping into his one eighth, you know. Um, um, Indian side or something who tells everyone else this doesn't seem right and it's everyone including John Wayne who ah shut up and it's not until they're too far away to be able to come back and return and do something that they realize that he's right but he gets no credit for it and this right. interesting other thing happens which is I really like the the way that that Ford handles this I think in another movie the other one I mentioned Red River also which I'll talk more about with you later but that he handles this thing about creating tension by doing nothing. Like, in other words, they can't ride back. Jeffrey Hunter tries to ride back, and Wayne tells him, that horse will die. It's 40 miles away. We're going to have to sleep. Knowing what's probably happening right now, we're going to have to sleep and then go get them. That's the other thing, too. There's also, like, I don't know, this is kind of, I think the dynamic between the two of those characters is actually a little more complicated. Because there's also the thing where Jeffrey Hunter is a little hard to take. Because um, he's just got, he's just like so writing the young reckless dude uh, sort of thing, and 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 you know um, John Wayne's character is so much you know is is kind of wise and slower taking, and but at the same time, 
Um, this is also the the more, the more like you know morally painful area, and Jeffrey Hunter's just about rescuing the girl. Yeah, I guess so. One of my problems, my only, we talked about the comedy that I think kind of fails in this movie, is, is that when Jeffrey Hunter's frailties are shown in the film, it's almost always under some weird comedic light, like Wayne feeling that the the guy who'd offered he offered a reward to the, the Mexican guys from the bar, he feels like they're following him. And so he puts a bunch of, of wood on the fire and, and then Jeffrey Hunter's like, ah, oh, you're nearly burning my butt up. And, you know, then it turns out he, Wayne was putting him out as bait. And it's like, okay, I mean, I get what he was doing, but it, it, that, and then later on when he's taking a bath and, you know, Vera Miles is, is I don't know, it's, it's sort of like, I, I wish that Jeffrey Hunter's frailties were shown under the same dramatic light or something yeah. similar that, that Wayne's Ethan character is. Like I said, there's like there's like this quality. Like I said, this is the, like that that John Ford comedy thing going on. The kind yeah. of just you just made me think about like this movie would be so much better without it. Man. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, to like that you know the the whole like tortured uh, fist fight over uh, the girl back home that yeah. he has with the, uh, with the with the yokel there. Oh, the yokel, by the way, that's Festus from Gunsmoke. Ice. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. It's the worst. It's the second worst acting in the in the film, and of course you know the first. The worst acting in the film is John Wayne's son, who plays oh. a, a messenger from the local Confederate or local Union Army. Yeah, I think it, I think that was literally the very first like role he ever had. I think that was it. Well, it showed. He later on, I saw I saw him. This is Patrick Wayne. I saw him, you know, in a film that was produced twenty years later, and I saw it thirty years later in the local Mexican theater in my small town, Sinbad of the Seven Seas. Ah, oh, good stuff. I love those. So we saw all of those movies in the uh, in the drive-in. Yeah. And then uh, he was also in Young Guns. I remember that. Yeah. That Charlie Charlie McCoy is the character, the ha 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 character. He's he's almost the worst thing in the movie, except for that goddamn Mose. The character of Mose. The, Mose. The, the, no. the, the character who's gone out of his head and then yeah. sort of like stepped and fetches it for everybody. I mean, there are some embarrassing things here, but it talks, that speaks to what a great movie it is that the embarrassing things are just sort of, you put blinders yeah. on to get, to get past uh, those. It would not, see, here's the thing. As I, like I was just saying, like I was just imagining it without those, com- those, those terrible comedy moments in it. Yeah. It's so, so different. And, I, and I'd like to think it would be better, but I might be wrong about that. I'm going to do it that day. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, like, it suffers. I, I think probably a good editor would have would have made it even better. And I'm saying it's an excellent film, but there are there are directors who who keep these like particular editors around in their life. Scorsese does the same thing, and Woody Allen has a couple of times in his life. And those editors are invaluable, but there are directors who can't be told no. And so I think Ford was one of them. That who Ford was one of those, yeah. Different been. editors, and so, yeah. I got, a, I got another piece of Finley trivia. Yeah, please. Yeah. All right. Uh, Natalie Wood mm-hmm. uh, actually grew up in San Francisco yeah. uh, on the other side of the block from where our parents grew up. Yeah, from Finley number one. It comes yeah. full cycle again. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and she, you can tell that she's a beautiful girl. Like, there, 10 years earlier, she's in uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Um, now in the mid-50s, you can tell that she's she's a beautiful girl. But I'll never get over the Natalie Wood 10 years after this, practically, who was with Robert Redford in uh, This Property Condemned. Mm-hmm. Oh, mama. 
I did also. I do like the fact that Natalie in this movie appeared to be uh, the only uh, Native American woman who uh, discovered full makeup. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of. Well, that was, but there are some things that, like, she's the one, when they discover, they finally find her for realsies, it's because they realize she's the woman who's, um, who's uh, displaying all the white scalps in front of them. When they meet, right. when they meet, so there are some like, you know, a movie that's seventy something years old. There are some moments where you still like kind of gulp and get tense, and it, it, I mean, it has legs and in, in in so many ways. I think one thing that we should talk about too, and and I thought, oh, this is interesting that this has come up in a couple of other movies, including um, one that we did, uh, Burt Reynolds, the man who loves cat dancing, uh, but in a different way. When Martin Jeffrey Hunter um, accidentally buys a squaw. Mm-hmm. You know, ha, 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 he bought a squaw, and it's like oh, fish out of water. Two cultures colliding, humor. Uh, yeah, but also like uh, this is part. This is something that I did find a little uncomfortable when I was watching it. They are an abs. They're absolute cocksuckers to this this woman. Mm-hmm. And it's and Ford plays it off as a kind of humorous. Ah, you ruined her life. Ha ha ha. You know, women. What are you gonna do? I right? guess. Yeah. Squaws. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that going. Well, I mean, you think about it like this: this is not, uh, this is not a movie that features a lot of strong women, for sure. Uh, I tell you, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, um, I'd like to I mean, talk Natalie about. Natalie does okay. I mean, it's a couple of them do decently, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, no... Vera Miles is is basically yeah. um, and Margaret and Bye Bye Birdie. You know, it's like who's <laughs> waiting by the telephone or whatever it is back then. For whoever is in the common sense along. occasionally, but no, that's that's kind of it. Yeah, but also let's not forget one last character I want to mention is the Swede. Yeah, he's oh. he's Vera Miles's father. He's like, you are no, you are no. We're here in the bottom. What are you doing? Do you know who that is? No. That is, I forget the character's name, but in Casablanca, he's the guy who contacts Paul Henry and, and Ingrid Bergman. Like, I think you'd like to buy this ring. It's very interesting. Oh, there's a good market for it in America. Yeah, really? yeah, really? yeah. He's yeah, the, okay, the guy okay. from the underground in Casablanca. So was he legitimately Swedish? <laughs> See what I'm getting here? Well, I don't. He didn't seem Swedish in Casablanca. Yeah, and he was kind of nondescript European of some kind, right? Yeah, I mean, Swedish is one of those things. It's like Irish. Where you, for a long time, you could just like, ah, oh, faith and McLaren. You know, you could just pour on some crazy cartoonish. What's that? And you should. And you should. Anyway. All times the crazy mix thing, my friend. Yeah, so so this anyway to sort of bring it back to the whole the, the core four idea. It's like um, I'm curious because the other you know we've talked about the first installment was Bullet, and the second one was Guns of Navarone, and those had this like at least you were at your dad's every other weekend. That was a divorce agreement, right? That was the agreement, yeah. So and then say, uh, three months during the summer. And so, oh, I didn't know that. So, so would you say that? Um, basically every weekend that you were at your dad's, you probably saw at least Bullet, if not Bullet and Guns, Guns of Navarone? Yeah. No, absolutely. We would definitely have seen one of one of the four core movies. Now, what would you say about... Oh, so how, how often did the searchers make it in? Like every other visit, maybe? Well, again, that kind of came in a little bit later into the picture. I mean, yeah. I want to say that came in like mid-80s or late-80s or something. That's when Dad finally was able to capture that. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, probably I guess mid. Um, so that became that's that's why it was for me. It doesn't. Yeah. It it's it just like I said. It's it feels like the movie we put in there to sort of round out the rhyme as much. Yeah, as and this is what you were already like in high school. Yeah, yeah. The other ones, you know, I, 
again, like the other ones, it's interesting about the other ones, the other members of the core four is it takes me, I have to kind of think about them a little bit more because they're just kind of part of my DNA in a sense. Right, right. Because I, I got it, I'm really young, way too young to really understand a lot. Well, I noticed by this one, I mean, again, I'm not trying to, this was more your experience, the core four with your dad than mine, but but even this one, I noticed we, we're, we're speaking about it a little more academically than we did about Bullet or... Well, okay, let's be honest. Yeah. This is the best movie out of the course four. If you want to look at movies, yeah. like that's like you know, which is like this is this is definitely just clinically a better movie than the other ones. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's my favorite John Wayne movie. And I, it, now that we're doing it, I can finally forgive you for and this is how, part, partly my fault. When we did the John Wayne episode, and I put the choices in your hands, and you chose Donovan's Reef. I mean, I, we may have to do a, a second John Wayne episode just to sort of, like, rectify yeah, yeah, what happened with that one. <laughs> i, I got to be honest. My favorite John Wayne movie of all time is still A Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. And it's hardly a John Wayne movie. Um, Barely. Yeah. I, I, the year in 1962, and and Lee Marvin was a great villain, and John Wayne was great in it. So they said, Jimmy Stewart's the so star, they, though. You know? So as 1963 rolled around, they said, let's repeat the magic with Donovan's Reef. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um cool i think that's all i have to say about this movie uh, uh, but it's a great one i mean if, if I, I just it's hard for me to imagine anyone who follows the finleys on film hasn't already seen this movie but if you haven't seen it and see it seen it do and if uh you haven't seen it in a while go back because i was plus i hadn't seen it in a few years and i was really it was a great experience let me ask you this so uh, just maybe favorite john wayne movie but do you have a favorite Western, do you think? Um, well, uh, it's tough. I really, really, of course, love The Wild Bunch. I love this one. Um, I love Red River. I've always loved Red River. Yeah, um, you always were. There's, I mean, these are kind of cheats. Um, one of my top ten movies of all time is um, Brokeback Mountain. Now, is that a Western? I, it's hard to, you know, it is and it <laughs> isn't. Die Hard a Christmas movie. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And then I have to say this. This, I think, is a what more of a Western, and I just saw this last week. I think the best film of 2021, and I want to wait to talk a little bit more about it when we have our special guest in for that episode we're going to talk about soon, um, is uh, the best film of 2021 is um, Power of the Dog, and it's on Netflix, and it, it stars, uh, what's his name? Benjamin... Cumber, Cumberbun, Cumberbatch. Oh, Cumberbatch. Okay. Um, really? pl playing such a sadistic, manly cowboy that it kind okay. of breaks your heart. Uh, I don't want to say too much more about it, but it was, to, in my mind, an astounding film and a western. Um, I mean, it has horses, it has cattle, um, but it's more about like the kind of there are westerns that are on the move, like the Wild Bunch, and like this one, and then there are westerns that are that are kind of more about like the west and pioneering and and right. this kind of falls more into that category <coughs> oh man what about the legend that never mind we can go i can go on about western we maybe we should just do a western one of these at hey give me a couple more if you like western so much oh uh the the, the, the assassination well this would be this would be out of our uh, like our time range but the mm -hmm. assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford so many people told me that that was a boar fest i'm happy to hear somebody who really liked it i, I haven't seen it yet Oh, it's a kind of, it's slow as yeah. fuck. It's a little bit of a snoozer in some senses, but it's really beautifully and lovingly shot. 
That's, yeah. yeah, it's a lovely movie. Oh, The Long Riders was another one that I thought was I love that amazing. movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, um, you know, one more installment of The Core 4 coming up, but I've enjoyed talking about this one, Tommy. Likewise, likewise, Joseph. You have, uh, you have a great day. All right, love you, man. Bye-bye.